book of Romans. And I mean, there's just all these truths coming out of this. It is, it is amazing and it is indeed a great blessing. Romans chapter 11. We have been progressing through the book of Romans.
I think if every one of us is honest with ourselves, there's been times we've thought, can I really trust that promise? It doesn't seem like it's true right now in my life. And and there come times that we think, I don't know. I know it says it here, but I don't see it here or here. And what Paul is saying here is, you can have faith in God that God's promises will never be thwarted by human sin. God's sovereign purposes will never be turned aside by any action of mankind. And in this passage, he's saying, God's rejection of Israel is temporary, not permanent, that God has always had a remnant, and and that God will open the hearts of the Jews again so that there will come a time when all Israel will be saved. The unbelief of a human heart cannot dissuade or thwart God's purpose. Now see, he used Elijah as an illustration. And, and think of it. We're not being hard on, on Elijah, but to him it seemed like he was the only one. And he said that. And in essence, it's like, God, if, if I... They're waving at me back there. What's the matter? This isn't on? The problem is I put the batteries in today, okay? So, um, let's see. If I put them in backwards, sorry about that, folks. Let's see if that does it. Yeah, it's turned on. Amazing. We talked about it, that they both go the same way, but I put them in opposite. Didn't we, Jay, right? We'll get to the next point on this, and it applies. I'll I'll bring that out, okay? But Elijah was the, to him, he was the only one left. And God, if they kill me, your whole program shot, in essence. And God said, Elijah, you don't have full knowledge and you don't see like I see. And Elijah, there are 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And many times in our lives, God says to us, you don't have full knowledge, and you can't see, and I am going to fulfill my promises. See, The attack of Satan is always on the nature and character of God. And this attack in Romans that Paul's dealing with, you can trust God. Nothing is going to be able to separate you from God. And and all the promises that he gives here in Romans, and he says you can trust it, and there may come some dark valleys that you go through in life that, humanly speaking, you're prone to doubt and... You can have faith in God. 
that God is going to fulfill His promises. And nothing can stop God's plan, and we can trust God to do what He says. No matter how dark it gets, have faith in God. And so He illustrates that, and we can't go into all the details of that, and, and yet He illustrates that, that we can trust God that he will do whatever he says. So see, they were doubting. I don't see how all Israel will be saved. And Paul said, God has had his remnant of Israel, and he is going to bring that remnant all the way through without getting into all the prophetic implications. But he's going to bring that remnant, a remnant of Israel, all the way through to the very end, and he will save all of Israel at that time and usher them into the millennial kingdom. And he says, it may look to you like God isn't going to do it, but you can have faith in God. And that's what he established first and foremost. I read this chapter, and secondly, the effect of God's mercy, that we are recipients of God's mercy, is that we should be filled with gratefulness to God. And he goes into this illustration. My grandfather was, was excellent at grafting in, he would graft in different kinds of cherries on his cherry tree and different kinds of apples on the same apple tree. And you'd go to the cherry tree and there'd be, he'd say, these are these kind of cherries and over here is this kind And I can remember as a kid saying, how can that be, Mom? How can that be, Dad? That that doesn't make it. And they'd take me to the tree and they'd, and Grandpa would show me. He'd say, see, I, I made a cut here and I took this limb from this tree and I grafted in here. And you look at it then and it's producing fruit and it's, you can still see the scars of the grafting, and it's like, wow. And you go over to the apple tree, and he'd have all kinds of different apples on a tree. And in Romans 11, Paul says to we as Gentiles that he cut off Israel, still has a remnant, but he cut them off, and we were the wild branch. And he grafted us in to the genuine life. We had no hope, and we've sung about it all morning. This is amazing grace. How can it be that thou, my God, would graft me, who was wild, would not produce good fruit, would not even live, and he grafted me into the tree, the living. He is the vine. We are the branches. And it's all a manifestation of his love. And that should, that alone should fill us with perpetual gratefulness. God, you have given me life. God, you have grafted me in. You picked me up this, this wild branch. And you have grafted me into this. A gratefulness for the mercy of God. A gratefulness 
Every one of us ought to have a gratefulness for for Israel and for the Jews that God chose to send His seed through them. And now we are the beneficiaries of it. A gratefulness that we are grafted in. See, it's the root that supports us. We, we have nothing in which to glory. And in, the, in Romans 11 here, he says, God can do whatever He wants. And if you think that you are standing in and of your own, He says, remember, somebody was cut off so that you could be grafted in. And it wasn't our idea, and it wasn't our power, it was all of God. And, and as we sang this morning, wonderful grace of God and, and, and can it be in all the songs that we sang. And even that, that last one, He will hold me fast. We are, we are not supported by our faith. We are, we are supported by God. And it ought to fill us with gratefulness as we realize that. Thirdly, three times in Romans 11, Paul directly warns Gentile believers against spiritual pride. Notice verse 18. Verse 18, and he's mentioning the, the grafting and so on. Do not boast against the branches... But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Notice verse 20. Well, let me just go on and read 19. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. Notice verse 25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So he said three times, he says in this passage, that we must take a humble spirit in all of this. That we are no better than the Jews. And, and in this, he warns us three times to guard against spiritual pride by remembering that salvation, and we know this, but salvation is by grace alone. Ephesians 2, we know the verse. By, we're saved by grace through faith. That not of ourselves, it is a gift of God and which no man can boast. And yet it is easy for us to be filled with pride. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And notice if you'd look in verse 12. He's mentioning, he's giving the discourse about salvation by grace through faith. 
Verse 11, therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, when you were unsaved, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Think of that. This truth ought to humble us to realize, except by the grace of God, we could have been born at a time when the Gentiles were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise. But now we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So what do we have to glory in? What do we have to, to be inflated with? Paul, Paul deflates the pride of the Gentiles and, and he says, but if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you that is supporting your life. It's not of ourselves. And yet, isn't it easy to think in our minds, well, praise God, I had enough sense to accept Jesus Christ. It, it was God's mercy. We didn't have any sense to do anything. Praise God, I came from a, a strong Christian family. And many times we have the, the very attitude of the Pharisees that Jesus spoke so strongly against. We ought to have continually a spirit of humility that, that we bow in in humility before God, that I am a recipient of your grace. I have nothing in which to merit this. I, I deserve none of this. Tis mercy all immense and free. So, you read through this and it builds our faith in God. It, it ought to fill our hearts with gratefulness regardless of how things go in our life to be grateful to God for His mercy that we have been recipients of and then to protect us against being lifted up with pride that we are better than others. You know, it's, it's easy for us it's like we have a double side of sword on the pride aspect. As, as recipients of God's mercy, it's easy for us to think we somehow had an inside track to the others that don't have it. And, and it's easy for us to think, well, look at us today. We're here at church. Look at those heathen out there getting up from their hangover. Look at us. We're here at church. We're doing God's business. It's easy for us to, to let those attitudes develop. And then you add in the aspect that we're Americans, all right? As Americans, we're pretty independent and we're pretty proud. But you know what? If I was preaching in Ireland, I could say the same thing. If I was preaching in Tokyo or Taiwan, 
or Africa, as human beings, we're pretty proud, aren't we? But as Americans, it's I'm independent, freedom, and, and I'm an American through and through, okay? And I believe in freedom, and we ought to battle for freedom. But you know what? We have nothing to be proud of as human beings, as Christians, or as Americans. And, and over and over throughout the Scriptures, he says, humble yourselves, humble yourselves. And in this passage, in which he's talking about the, the grace of God, he says to us three times, don't be filled with pride. But Romans 11 then, there's one other aspect that I want to mention today. If you'd look in the passage we read earlier, we'll look at it in just a moment. But in 1715, Louis XIV of France died. He called himself Louis the Great. His court was the most magnificent in Europe. He even planned his funeral to be spectacular. To dramatize his greatness, his body was put in a golden coffin. He had orders that the cathedral would be dimly lit with only one special candle set above the coffin. Thousands waited in hushed silence as Bishop Mazelon began to speak. Slowly reaching down, he snuffed out the candle and said, Only God is great. What Paul is saying in Romans 11 as he closes this discourse in 9, 10, and 11, he is saying, Only God is great. The main idea of the immensity of God, and he's been through this, and he's talking about the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, and we go, ah, I can't get it. And God says, I know you can't, because only I am great. And he goes about all these things in, in the book of Romans, and Paul can no longer contain it. And, and he says in verse 33, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgment and His ways past finding out. I mean, Paul is immersed in all of this that he's been going through in Romans, and, and his heart just breaks out, and he says, Wow! What an amazing God! And, and what we see in the sovereignty of God and the character of God is it ought to produce in us not only a spirit of gratefulness, not only humility, not only building our faith in God, but it ought to bring us to an awe of God. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Throughout Scripture, we find many illustrations of this and and here in, in Romans 11, Paul is quoting from Isaiah 40, as he's quoted many Old Testament passages here. But notice if you'd look in Isaiah chapter 40, 
and verse 12. The greatness and the awe of God. Similar to what God did to Job, he asked rhetorical questions to show the awe of God. To show, I am God and you are puny man. I am God, there is none like me. Notice what he says, verse 12 of Isaiah 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands? Measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? Weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare him to? And he goes on with this, and, and he's saying, there is no one like God. Now turn back to Romans 11. You'll see the similarity of what Paul's saying. Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. For who has known, he's quoting Isaiah, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? He says, is there anyone that can figure out the mind of God? No. And who has given him counsel? No one has given him counsel. Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. What he's saying is, as he's been giving this great, great discourse on salvation, All the way up through Romans to this point, he then comes out and says, God is all and man is nothing. And God alone is to be praised and his heart is is overflowing when he realizes where sin abounded, grace did much more abound and so on. See, God's sovereignty over salvation is... And the history of salvation is not for debate, but for worship. The purpose of all of this is in Romans that we've already looked at is not to fill us with knowledge and bring us to a point of debate. It's to bring us to the feet of God in worship. That we would say, how unsearchable are your ways. What a mighty God you are. And we are, we are far better off spending our time worshiping God 
as we are in debating election versus free will or whatever else we debate. The whole purpose for it all is to bring us to worship. That we would see, wow, I can't understand your mind. You are an amazing God. All I know is I once was lost, but now I'm found. That I was condemned as all the world was. And somehow in your mercy, God, you rescued me. It was not any of my doing. And what a blessing. And it ought to make us bow before Him. And, and then He ends it by saying, Amen. So be it. Now I, I, I came across this and I read it and I added a little bit to it. But Amen... Paul is saying to amen to everything that he's written in the book of Romans so far. I mean, he, he's wrapping up his description of the history of salvation and all the ins and outs of it. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask you to be interactive. All you have to do is say amen, okay? So be it. But I'm going to go back through and I'm going to state a truth that we've already looked at in Romans, and I'm going to say to you to say amen, okay? Paul is saying, don't forget the amen. I am helplessly, hopelessly lost in my sin, and I deserve God's holy wrath. Amen. My only hope for eternal life is that Jesus Christ shed his blood for me while I was yet a sinner. Amen. If he had not first chosen me, I never would have chosen him. Amen. I am justified by God's grace alone through faith in Christ alone. Amen. I now do not need to yield to sin because I am identified with Christ in His death and resurrection. Amen. He is now working all things, including my trials, including 2020. He is now working all things together for my good because I now love Him and He has called me according to His glorious purpose. Amen. He is now conforming me to the image of His Son so that one day I will be glorified with Him forever. Amen. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Amen. I can completely trust God. Amen. See? We, we just skipped the rock over Romans and hit some of the truths that we've already studied in Romans. And every one of them, our hearts ought to be saying amen and bringing us to bow in humility before him and say, what an awesome God you are. I stand, I stand in awe of you. 
And, and as we come to realize that, and, and if you say, I, I'm not getting it, then you go back and read, reread the first 11 chapters of Romans till you do get it. And that's the only cure. And the reality is that God, and, and we, we skipped over a lot of truths there, but this is God, and He is to be worshipped. And we, we rejoice in that. And Paul says amen to it. So you know what? No matter what happens, we can have faith in God. Regardless how dark the days may get, God is going to keep His Word to Israel. God is going to keep His Word to those who are in Christ Jesus. God is going to keep His Word And it ought to produce a heart of gratefulness. We as believers should be the most grateful people in the world. And a spirit of humility should should prevail through our lives and, and, and our very countenance. And we should continually stand in awe of God. Heavenly Father, I pray that the truth of You would truly change our hearts. Lord, thank You for using Paul to record Your mind for us in these areas. And truly, we, we come away from it saying, how unsearchable are Your ways. Lord, we can't explain it all, but we know it is perfect in You. And Lord, may we rejoice in the privilege of being recipients of Your mercy. And may we never grow accustomed to it. And Lord, I pray if there is one here today who has never responded by calling upon the name of You for the forgiveness of sins, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. Before they leave, that they would call upon You or speak to someone here, that we could show them how they can know that their sins are forgiven. And then, Lord, I pray for every one of us as believers. Lord, may we truly be filled with an unwavering faith in You and Your Word. When when all the world around us is failing us, when even perhaps in Christian circles we, we see failure, when in our own life, our own heart fails us, Lord, may our faith be unwavering to know that You never fail. And that You will fulfill every promise in Your Word. And Lord, I pray that we would be vessels of gratefulness as we express that back to You by the way we live our lives. And Lord... May You purge us. May You purge me of the spirit of pride that is so easily to beset me. And may a spirit of humility truly reign in our lives. And Lord, I pray that we would have every day a renewed sense of awe to You. That You humbled Yourself to come to provide a way 
for us to come to you. Lord, may we stand in awe of you as we never have before because of the truth of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.